Good morning. Good morning. Uh, how are we doing? Great. Great. Good. Great. Awesome. Um, you guys have a good week? Yeah. Yeah? Good. Busy, busy kind of weird week for me. A lot going on. A lot going on. Last time I was sharing from God's Word, my throat was a little iffy. I think we're going to make it today. But because of my busy week, there were, again, some things that I missed. Some celebrations that I'm sure you guys partook in. Like Tuesday, National Potato Chip Day. I don't know. Did anyone celebrate? I'm not supposed to have potato chips anyway, so I didn't. Too busy for that. Here's one that you can tell that I didn't participate in, and that is National Spray Tan Day. (laughs) And I see that no one else participated in that. So apparently there is always next year. You're absolutely right. Um, We have some farmers in the congregation. I don't see any of them here today, but Thursday was National Farmer Rescuer Day. I have no idea what that means, but maybe these guys celebrated. I don't know. Ask them when you see them. And of course, Friday, everybody knows what Friday was, right? St. Patrick's Day. Corned beef, cabbage, wearing green, anybody? Yeah? Okay, very few. I did not participate, but like you say, there's always next year. But I do, I do want to begin this morning with a question. I know that's unusual for me, but my question is this. Do you guys enjoy crowds? Crowded places? There are some people who actually enjoy crowds. Now me, I wouldn't say that I enjoy crowds. As a matter of fact, as I get older, I become less and less tolerant of being in crowded places. However, however... I have been known to tolerate crowds from time to time. Because as many of you know, I am a hockey fan. And I'm kind of partial to my team. The Blackhawks, right? And going to a hockey game in person, it's really an awesome experience. It really is. If you haven't done it, I suggest you try it. But it gives you an entirely new perspective on the game. You begin to appreciate the, the, the smallness of the rink and you appreciate the size and the speed of the players and the speed of the game in general. It's really a lot of fun. But in order to do that, you must be willing to brave the crowds. Now, I'm not sure, but I think that lately that hasn't been much of a problem since the Hawks are... Yeah, really not doing too well. They kind of stink, actually. See, when teams are doing poorly, fans are less inclined to watch their team lose and pay for the privilege of doing it. But, but, even then, even when a team is doing poorly, when a superstar from another team is coming to town, people will pay to see that. People will pay to see that. Remember back in the 90s when Michael Jordan was around? He would go to these teams that were terrible 
and these towns would sell out. These places would sell out because people wanted to come to see Michael Jordan. They would pay, and they would brave the crowds in order to see that. Now, when Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon, I don't know if you guys are hockey fans or not, but these are some of the superstars of the game, when they're coming to town, that is worth seeing. That's worth seeing. And fans crowd the United Center saying, you know, I got to see this. I will put up with the crowds because I want to see this. But what if it wasn't a superstar athlete coming to town? What if it was a healer? Someone you had heard had the power over sickness and over demons. Would you brave the crowds to just get a glimpse of the miracles? To see this firsthand? Saying, you know, this is something I've got to see for myself. Or maybe you would be one of the sick. And you're saying, you know, if he healed others, maybe he can heal me. I hope. I hope. Well, friends, as you may or may not know, the Bible is filled with stories just like that. Jesus is the sovereign God over all creation. Colossians 1 tells us he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is in total control of the entire cosmos and he has the ultimate power over sickness and demons. And the scriptures record many instances of Jesus exercising that power and demonstrating his sovereignty. And the crowds... The crowds followed him because his reputation as a healer and a teacher preceded him. And it's one of those stories that we're going to explore this morning. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we're in a series of messages entitled Questions Jesus Asked. And in this story that we look at today, this, this, this story of healing, this story of power, again, we're going to see Jesus ask a question. And it's a question that may kind of seem strange at first blush, but we know that Jesus asked questions with a purpose. He was always seeking to get inside of our souls and reveal more about himself reveal more about the kingdom, and reveal more about ourselves. The question that we're going to look at this morning is who touched my robe, who touched my clothes, who touched my garment, depending on the the translation that you look at. We're going to look at Mark chapter 5. This story is also recorded in Matthew's gospel as well as Luke's, but we're going to look at Mark's account. That's found in chapter 5 of the book of Mark. Uh, We're going to focus mainly on 25 to 34, but we're going to kind of skip around in Mark chapter 5 a little bit. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, and, and, and as you do that, as you turn to this passage, you may notice that this happens not long after the story that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story where Jesus calmed the storm. 
And he asked those questions. Why are you so afraid? And, and, and do you still have no faith? And we'll see that faith, faith is a point of emphasis in today's teaching as well. So we see this, this story of the calming of the storm. That's at the end of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 5 opens on the other side of the lake now. Remember Jesus said, let's go to the other side. The storm calms the storm. Now they're on the other side of the lake in an area called Gerasenes. Gerasenes. And this is, this is really kind of enemy territory. This is more Gentile territory. His reputation is not as well known over there. And no sooner do they get off the boat, you may know the story, but he's approached by a demon-possessed man. And this man, he's, he's possessed not just by one demon, but by many. The, his name is Legion. There's many demons in this man. Jesus commands the demons to come out. He gives them permission to enter into this herd of pigs. The herd of pigs goes over the cliff. They drown in the ocean. And the herdsmen, they're angry. They're angry. I mean, this is their livelihood, right? So they asked Jesus to leave. Actually, it says they begged him to leave. So Jesus and the disciples, they get back into the boat and go back over to the other side. Now, remember, they had just gotten there. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus has them cross the lake just to calm the storm and to heal one man. He went over to the other side of the lake to heal this one man. And they asked him to get back in the boat, and they asked him to leave. Jesus agrees, and they go back over to the other side. Verse 21 tells us, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, back to the Gentile area, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So he's back in the Galilean side of the lake, friendly territory, again, where he's very, very popular, his reputation is well known, and he's approached by a very important man. He's approached by a leader from the synagogue, a man named Jairus. And Jairus tells Jesus that his daughter's sick, she's dying. He says, please, he, he, he begs him, please come and lay your hands on my daughter, that she might be healed. And it's interesting that Jairus shows this great confidence in Jesus' ability to heal. But he believes that Jesus must physically be there and lay his hands on her in order for her to be healed. And Jesus agrees to go. And I can imagine... The people that are, are, are crowding around Jesus, they hear this conversation between him and Jairus, and, and they're saying, All right, I got I to gotta, I gotta go with, I, I got to see this. I got to watch this happen for myself. And at the end of verse 24, Mark tells us that a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Other translations say they thronged him. And I want you to kind of picture in your mind this crowd, you know. They're shoulder to shoulder. They're, they're, they're bumping into each other, you know. Most of them wanting to just witness this miracle of healing. 
But there were some in the crowd who actually sought healing. We see this in verse 25. Mark tells us that there was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So this, this, this woman that Mark introduces us here to here in this story, she is, quite honestly, friends, desperate. She's desperate. And I don't think that from our reading here, we really understand how desperate she really was because the consequences of this bleeding were dramatic. Dramatic. Her suffering was widespread. We obviously know that she suffered physically. It said she was bleeding without stopping and blood loss like that would have caused anemia. She would have been pale. She would have been weak and and any effort at all would have just completely worn her out. We also know that she suffered spiritually. We know that because by the law of Moses, recorded in Leviticus chapter 15, bleeding like that would have caused her to be considered unclean. Unclean, just like a leper. Unclean. And anything that she touched would then be unclean. So for 12 years, she couldn't go out in public. She couldn't mingle out in public. She wasn't supposed to. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't enter into the woman's court of the temple. She was considered ceremonially unclean and unable to participate in any aspect of worship. We also know that she suffered socially and emotionally She was more than likely unmarried or probably divorced. No one would marry a woman like that. And if this happened after she was married, the husband would have divorced her because she was defiled. She was unclean. She couldn't work. She couldn't work around others because of the danger of this defilement, which really left her to a life of begging. And after 12 years of being outcast, of being ostracized from society, you can be sure that she was desperate and that she was emotionally raw. And of course, the Bible tells us that she suffered financially. It says all that she had was spent on doctors and cures for her sickness. Cures that that didn't work. And it really makes me wonder, friends, about us. When we suffer, when we experience spiritual pain, spiritual suffering, emotional pain, how many doctors do we turn to? We turn to the doctor we know as drugs or alcohol to dull the pain, but that cure is just temporary. We turn to doctor entertainment or or, or pleasure. There's no cure there. We may try doctor success, right? Money, power, 
But there's no help there either. Dr. Possessions, Dr. Relationships, Dr. Religion. But see, none of that can bring a real cure. There's only one thing that does that, and that is Dr. Jesus. Only he can heal completely and permanently. So the woman in our story here, she's at the end of her rope. She's desperate. And then she hears about this healer. She hears about this, this, this miracle worker. She hears about Jesus. And verse 27 tells us, When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. Now, like we said just a moment ago, Jesus' reputation as a healer is well known. And word reaches this woman. She'd heard about the things that he'd done for others, how he had miraculously healed them, and she thinks maybe, maybe, he can be my source of healing as well. So she does something that is actually pretty dangerous. She braves the crowds. She goes out there, even though she's not supposed to. She's in her weakened state, and she expends all her energy just to get, just to get close. And she thinks, if I just touch his garment. She knows she, she, knows she can't touch him. She knows she's not supposed to be out in public. She'd be condemned for touching Jesus. She'd be condemned for touching others, for even being in the crowd. But if I just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. Now, nowhere in the Bible do we read about Jesus healing like that before. So this woman's Actions are probably, at the very least, partially based on superstition. But see, it wasn't the cloak, it wasn't his garment that she believed in. No. She believed in the healing power of the man, Jesus. And her faith, her faith was well-founded, and it was rewarded. In verse 29... We read, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, the wisdom of that day would tell us that if she touched Jesus, then even if she touched his, his garment, that Jesus would then be unclean. But that's not how things work with Jesus. Because when she touches the edge of his robe, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the woman is made whole. She is completely healed. And friends, make no mistake, when we bring our sin and our junk and our suffering and our uncleanness and we heap it upon Jesus as he asks us to, doesn't make him a sinner. 
doesn't make him unclean. What it does is it cleanses us. It cleanses us. As we read on into verse 30, this is where we get to the question. The question, Mark writes this, At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Now when you think about the situation, this, this question doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense, right? I mean, here's Jesus, he's being you know, bumped into and jostled on every side. You've been in a crowd, right? You've been shoulder to shoulder with some of your best friends, right? Being bumped around, people touching you that you don't even know. It's wonderful, isn't it? And even Jesus' disciples thought it was kind of strange because in verse 31, they say to him, you see the people crowding against you and yet you can ask who touched me? See, they didn't understand. They didn't understand the difference between bumping into Jesus and reaching out and touching him in faith. Oh, there were some in the crowd there that probably bumped into Jesus, right? But they weren't healed. But see, there's a huge difference, friends, between casual contact with Jesus and reaching out in faith. You know, Augustine commented on this many years ago, and he said this, he said, Flesh presses, faith touches. And Jesus can always tell the difference between bumping into him and the touch of a truly desperate and needy soul. And I wonder, friends, how we approach Jesus. Do we just bump into him a couple of Sundays a month at church? Because that isn't the same as reaching out to him in faith. Believing in his power. Believing in the healing power of Jesus Christ. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this in his commentary. It is not every contact with Christ that saves men. It is the arousing of yourself to come near to him. The determinate, the personal, resolute, believing touch of Jesus Christ which saves. See, it isn't enough just to bump into Jesus from time to time. It's not enough. Like this woman in the story, we must reach out to him in faith. But, Verse 32 tells us, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at Jesus' feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Now, Jesus already knew who touched him. 
Jesus already knew who this woman was. Jesus already knew this woman. And make no mistake, friends, Jesus already knew all about the woman's past. He knew all about her pain. He knew about her isolation. He knew all about her 12 years of suffering. He knew about her need for healing. But see, with this question, friends, in this moment, Jesus reveals more of himself and his mission to this woman, to this crowd, and to us. See, this is exactly who Jesus came for. He came to save the least, the lost, and the broken. Jesus came for those who suffer and are in need of healing. Back in chapter 2 of Mark's Gospel, Jesus says this. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And friends, the truth, the truth of the matter is, there is a little bit of this woman in each and every one of us. There's a little bit of her in all of us. See, we all suffer from the spiritual sickness of sin. We all suffer from it. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, you've heard this before, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And friends, that's absolutely true. If we are honest, we will have to admit it. I see it in me. I know it about myself. But we cannot stop reading there because Paul goes on in Romans chapter 3 to say that we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus God presented Christ as an atoning sacrifice through the shedding of his blood to be received by what? By faith. Faith. There's that word again, faith. We're going to see it again as we read on, but I want us to know, friends, I want us to know that Jesus stopped here and he asked this question that we might know, that we might be assured that he came for us. That he came for you. He came to heal you. And Jesus already knows you. He already knows your past. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows about your pain. He knows about your sin but he loves you anyway. You know, Jesus also stopped and asked this question to show the woman that she was worthy. That she was worthy of Jesus' time and that she was worthy of Jesus' love and his compassion. Remember, Jesus was on this very important mission, right? He was on his way to attend to a very important man's daughter. But he stopped. He stopped and he gave attention to this woman. This woman considered unclean, cast out as worthless. When the world said she was unworthy, when society said she was unworthy, when the healthcare system, even the church said she was unworthy, Jesus said, no, no. And he showed the woman that she was worthy 
of his time and worthy of his love. And friends, Jesus is saying the very same thing to each and every one of us today. You are worthy. You are loved. No matter what the world's telling you today, Jesus says, I love you and you're worthy. After being called out by Jesus, it says that the woman fell at Jesus' feet. So she trembled with fear. So she was afraid. Afraid. And this is really very interesting because it is the same word, the same fear that the disciples had after Jesus calmed the storm. Remember, they were still afraid. They weren't fearing for their lives at that point, but they were still afraid. And it isn't fear necessarily. It is the awe and reverence of being in the presence of someone who is so much greater than you. And then it says that she told Jesus all about herself. Scripture says she told him the truth. She told him the truth about her sin. She told him the truth about her suffering. She told him about all the cures that she'd tried. And friends, what an incredibly perfect picture of how we are to come to Jesus. We reach out in faith. We fall at his feet with fear and reverence and we tell him, we tell him about our pain, we tell him about our sin, we tell him about our suffering, and we tell him about our hopes. Because Jesus wants to hear from you. Jesus wants a relationship with you. See, the woman approached Jesus that way. And in verse 34, Mark writes this. He, meaning Jesus, said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter. Jesus adopted this outcast into the family of God. And he said, you're healed. And it's really, really interesting because this word that Jesus uses here that's translated healed, it can also be translated saved. See, this woman's faith not only healed her physically, it also became her source of salvation. Now, I just want to comment very briefly about those who pray with faith for physical healing. Physical healing. It doesn't matter what you're, what, what you're facing, whether it's, it's some minor problem or, I don't know, COVID or, or cancer. It doesn't matter what it is. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. Keep praying and keep praying for healing. 
But see, we know, friends, from experience that sometimes Jesus chooses to heal. And sometimes he chooses not to. But please do not ever let anyone ever tell you that you're not being healed because you don't have enough faith. Ah, if you just had a little more faith, you'd be healed. It's just not true. It's just not true. What is true, friends, and what I can tell you without equivocation is that Jesus will heal you. Jesus will heal you. But maybe not in the way that you expect. And maybe not in the way that you want. And certainly not according to your timeline. I mean, think about Jairus. We talked about Jairus just a few minutes ago. Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. But Jesus stopped. He stopped on the way. By the time he's finished with this woman, Jairus' daughter is dead. She's dead. But friends, Jesus has the ultimate power over sickness and over death, and he raises this little girl from the dead. And friends, Jesus promises the very same thing for each and every person that reaches out in faith, for all who believe. See, our ultimate healing, friends, the day we're made whole comes when we leave this world. That's perfect healing. When we shed these, these, these decaying earthly bodies and receive our resurrection bodies and we spend eternity basking in the light and the love of our Creator and our God, no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. That only happens when we reach out in faith to the one who came for us. And that's Jesus Christ. Do you want to be healed? Do you want the peace that only Jesus can bring? Reach out. Reach out to him. Believe in his healing power. Touch the edge of his robe. He'll stop. He'll take time for you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. And he says, you are worthy of my time and my love and my healing. I pray, friends, that we would all reach out in faith to Jesus and be healed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you just in awe. You are an amazing God. And we thank you, Lord, that you know us, that you love us, that you will take the time for us, and that if we reach out in faith, that you will heal us. And Father, I pray for, I pray for everyone here for everyone here. If you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't trusted in Him for that healing power, I pray that you'd do it now. I pray that you would do it today. Reach out to Him in faith. 
touch the edge of his robe and you will be healed. Father, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. Thank you for your love and your time and your healing. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with us.
God is good. Amen. 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 Um, we have an awesome prayer team, prayer warriors that are willing to meet you up here up front. Uh, if you want to pray, you want to talk, um, anything, just say hello. Come on up, grab me, grab any one of them, and um, we're more than happy to, to pray with you or speak with you. Um, where might go? Are you going to make your way up here, dude? I can call him dude. I know him. Well, good morning. I have a message from our council. And so if you had read Friday's email message, the names of the Office of Elder and Deacon Candidates were presented to you by council for a vote of affirmation. You may have noticed that Jim Staub's name is up for elder. This year is an unusual year that in two elders and two deacons are finishing their terms of service, which means that half of the council is changing. You may also realize that we as a church family are going through many changes all at one time. Namely, switching our affiliation from the Christian Reformed Church to the Alliance of Reformed Churches. We are also going to be transitioning our pastor position from Pastor Andy as he retires and bringing on the next pastor for Hope Church next year, God willing. Because of all these changes and transitions, the council has decided it would be wise to have some additional continuity in council regarding these events. Jim Staub has been very active in all these transitions and projects and has agreed to extend his term for one additional year by the council's request. Our bylaws in section six, Article 6, Section B has a provision such that under unusual circumstances, a retiring office bearer may be asked to remain on council for a limited period of time. The circumstances and length of the time would be determined by the council. We decided that it would be wise to explain the situation today rather than to do so by email. If you have any further questions, please see any council member. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Go with this blessing. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go in peace. Amen.